What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the House of the Deaf podcast. I'm your co-host, Peter Salnikov. Traditionally, this is Rafael Calantonio from Austin, Texas. Hello. Hey, guys. This time we're talking about music and video games. And our guest for this topic is the award-winning composer for Supergiant Games, the one and only Darren Korb. Hi, Darren, and thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. You are entering the house of the dead. The wonderful thing about this episode is that all three of us are musicians, like functioning musicians. Uh, Raf has a band. Uh, I used to have a band and I'm, I still compose music. Uh, do you still rock in the band? We know that your roots, Darren, uh, go way deep in the culture of rock bands. Uh, there's a lot of pictures uh, of you on stage with the bass guitar. Yeah. Uh, you know, a windmill of hair. Bless you, Raph. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Did you still um, perform. Yeah, you know, I, I haven't performed in a minute, but uh, I, I, we put out an album. Uh, my band called Control Group, yeah, put out an album uh, in February, actually, um, and it was just a bunch of tracks we recorded before I moved away from New York. Uh, it was drum tracks that we had laying around, and and uh, you know, we kind of do a little bit of work on them every year and a half or something, and. <laughs> Finally, I just decided. Well, I got a little time on my hands now in the pandemic, so let's just let's just finish just finish this record. And uh, yeah, I'm glad we did. It was a lot of fun to do. But yeah, I I, I haven't played with those guys in person in in a few years because we all live in different states now. Do you do the same type of music in your band than you do in games? No, um, it's uh, you know the the band control groups like garage rock stuff. You know, it's like pretty. Um, It's like Pixies, you know, the cars like that, you know, Dinosaur Jr., like that kind of influence. Um, and that's it's a lot of fun. And uh, everybody writes, too. It's me and, and two friends of mine. And uh, and we're all we all write. We all switch instruments. Everybody trades off vocals and stuff. And so it's a very, you know, egalitarian uh, <laughs> way. It's a jamming music. band. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, we will do like you know, writing games and stuff where, or we used to, when we would play in person where we'd show up and, you know, you'd have to tell someone else what their part was and you weren't in charge of your own part. And you just had to like, take whatever suggestion anyone gave you, you know, <laughs> and you were in charge of the, like, I'm playing guitar, but I'm in charge of the drums and the drummer's in charge of the bass part and the, you know, and so on. We should yeah. start another distributed band guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, uh, Darren, yeah, the, the question, the ref actually started asking this question and uh, you have uh, got a very distinctive style, even though you don't play the same music that you do in the bands, mm. you sort of, you, you compose music, video game music, which sort of feels like bands music. Mm. And uh, uh, in terms of writing music for video games, uh, of course, this is your like this is your style, your niche. You're a very unique musician, in my opinion. Uh, but in terms of uh, many other musicians who want to get into the video game industry, is that a blessing or a curse? Uh, there are there's a lot of songwriters who want to get in, mm -hmm. but uh, in most cases, n not many games require a unique soundtrack um, many developers look for something more generic or maybe expectable mm, 
And aside from that, I think that it's, in some cases, it's hard to turn your creativity from expressing yourself to expressing the game. Mm. So what's your take on that? How playing in the band differs from making music for games, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. You know, my background is, as you said, it's, you know, in songwriting and, and writing music for bands and stuff like that. I mean, and, and I don't really have much of a background as a composer before working on games. And I have a background in, in music production. And so it's sort of the combination of those two perspectives that kind of form my point of view on on composing. I mean, I, I, I tend to, for games, I tend to write everything like a song. Things are all structured like songs. You know, they have a A, B, A, B, C, B, whatever structure, you know, uh, for the most part. Sometimes I'll deviate from that, but but in general, they're all the pieces, even instrumental pieces and everything, are structured like songs. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I certainly bring that point of view um, as far as as far as trying to write to express the point of view of the game instead of just expressing yourself. I find that actually really um, creatively interesting and refreshing because the more guidelines you have it's almost like it allows you to just focus it allows like when when it, when the sky's the limit and all you want to do is express yourself then anything is possible it's like you get existential paralysis or at least that's what happens to me like when you have too many options i can't choose you know so when there are guidelines like well this game is set in you know an ancient greek underworld so i want to have you know, this type of musical palette. I want to have these types of instruments. Okay, that's one decision that's just kind of made. And, you know, I want to express this kind of a tone. So that implies something else musically and I and I have a direction. So so I really actually enjoy the guidelines of having a specific framework in which to compose. To that to that point, do you get uh, people like do you, do you feel like the director of the of the game, I assume that person would be your direct contact would that person ask you for your own style or do they sometime uh want you to do music in the style of here are a few references like you know Hans Zimmer meets with this but kind of orchestral but really cool <laughs> so so I've been lucky enough to be on team at Supergiant since the very beginning so the person who would be saying those things to a composer would be me theoretically like i'm because <laughs> i'm the audio director um so so i've been lucky enough on these projects to not have that kind of directive because okay. i find that can be pretty um that can be kind of limiting and i used to like i did a couple of composing gigs before i got into like very small like i did like i did a little independent movie i wrote a song for that and then i did like a couple of little commercial infomercial things, right? And the directive always was, can you just kind of rip off this thing that we can't afford and make it kind of like that, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> then they go, you... it's too yeah. similar. Yeah, or, you know, it's just, it's just the, you know, the, the, the point of view when I was being asked that to do that specific thing, it just felt like, you know, it wasn't coming from a, a place of trying to do something unique and expressive and creative for this particular piece. It was more of a, 
you know, it, it's, it's asking literally for something that is derivative of something else, you know? Um, so, but, but I've been lucky enough to not have that, not be in that position, uh, when, when working on games, you know, and, and occasionally there'll be a suggestion like, Oh, it'd be cool if we had this kind of a vibe for this thing. And I totally, of course, that stuff is all, you know, all fair game. Um, and, and even the other thing is fair game. It's just, I, I, you know, <laughs> I've been lucky enough to not be in the position to have to do that as much, uh, since, since I got into games. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I, I myself, when I, when I've, uh, directed audio people, I've always wanted them to, for them, not for, uh, copying something that, you know, that otherwise this, yeah, I don't, I don't find, I, I think music in games is such a, such a, it's such an opportunity and it's cheap as well compared to anything else in the in the budget of games. Uh, and it's an opportunity to uh, bring identity to your IP in ways that are not like trying to sound like Star Wars or like epic, uh, you know, epic orchestral thing that everybody has been doing for the past 20 years. And uh, yeah, so I really, I really wish there was more of that approach, like, you know, well, express yourself as a, as a musician as opposed to, uh, you know, yeah, put some violins and some like, yeah, yeah, and there's, you know, there's certainly a place for that stuff. It's not, not to say that that isn't cool, you know, it's just, there is for sure. Yeah, whatever, whatever, you know, for, for me, it's all about whatever is gonna give a unique feeling to the project it's like what's going to put you in a place that's that is that it helps to transport you to a place you've never been to before exactly. you know is is part of the part of my philosophy about it so you said that you were lucky to to join the team since the very beginning and uh, discuss all the games from the very start mm -hmm. so like it, it's it's like the whole team is focusing on the final product uh from their own sides but uh what you guys are discussing here it's it's pretty rare i think that like most of the time it's easier to get into the video game industry through mobile games yeah. uh, at least from where i'm standing mm -hmm. um but in mobile games nobody needs your uh, special expression <laughs> um and uh in in case i mean in case of studios in case of uh, you know uh, game developers who are looking for musicians or composers for their projects, it's it's actually pretty easy. I think there's a lot of bands like fuck tons of musicians uh, on the street who don't know what to do with their profession, uh, and uh, and they will they will be you know happy to participate. But there's also the question of uh, explaining to them what you actually want to have in your final game. And not every studio has got the opportunity to, you know, to, to create a huge team because, you know, uh, most of the time, audio guys are the last guys to ask about anything in your project. 
like win all that it's not the case of Supergiant or Wolfeye or Arcane, of course, but still, it's a problem which still exists, and it exists for, I think, decades. We have discussed this with uh, John Romero in, on the previous episode. We have discussed this with Matt Pearsall on, uh, in season one. So what do you think about it? It's interesting. I mean, I think that there's a couple of, of, of facets to this question. It's like, the the i think the reason it's such a common approach is to have temp music that you like that sort of evokes the feel or or a reference you're like uh, kind of like that is it just it's a shorthand you know it's a creative shorthand and so when you don't have somebody on your team who is that person generating that point of view it's a lot easier to communicate to a person like what you're looking for i mean i think there is a balance though where you can say this kind of a thing would be cool but please, you know, for your information, that's what we had in mind, but, you know, be open. I mean, being open to someone doing something interesting and creative is cool. You know, when we, you know, are doing auditions for voice actors, for example, for, for something, you know, we have something in mind for the character, but if an actor brings us something cooler than that, and we're like yes okay that's the thing in fact not what we thought this is even better you know and so i i think it's it's um i mean of course it's tricky to if someone says we had this thing in mind but then go nuts you know it's like well how do you um you have to have a lot of confidence i suppose to come back with something different than that that mm -hmm. that your confidence is going to be better um so i think you know that 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 aspect of it is tricky um and then you know i think finding new people people who are not currently working in games to come and you know oh i like this band let me see if they'll mm -hmm. contribute to this game you know i mean i think if you have i mean that can be a really cool way to go i think i mean my influences as a composer mostly are not video games you know as yeah. a game composer, my influences are all the records that I love. You know, they're yeah. like, you know, Radiohead and Jeff Buckley and They Might Be Giants and Weezer or whatever. You know, like all stuff I grew up on and Led Zeppelin. And um, and those are my influences and not not as much. Like I, I enjoy, you know, I grew up playing video games and enjoying the music and stuff and playing Super Mario. And I love the music from like Marble Madness and whatever, you know, all these games. But But they're not the thing that is driving me creatively so the idea to 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 reach out to hey i really like this artist that makes these cool records that are amazing i think it's an interesting idea i just think the one thing that may be a factor when working with somebody who who doesn't who hasn't worked on a game before is understanding the possibilities with the interactivity i mean unless you have somebody kind of thinking about that who understands how that works um there's a lot there's a learning curve on your first game you know understanding how the music is implemented and what what options you have available to you in terms of how the player is going to interact with the music and how the music's going to respond to what the player is doing and how to implement it and all that stuff so you know there are benefits i would say to to a pro tapping some like if you enjoy some band, you say, oh, man, I really want Steely Dan to score this video game or whatever, you know, 
you could try reaching out to Steely Dan. Um, but, uh, but I just think it's, you know, it's a different, um, it's a different medium. So, so there's going to be a, a learning curve. Semi-related question. Um, cause I'm on both sides. I'm this, I'm on the sides of, uh, of the one who's looking for, for musician and I'm also a musician and, uh, in past projects, uh, whenever we started to really have a lot of money as, as, uh, for budgets for our games um i would do what you're saying i would be well i'm just gonna contact daniel licht because I, i like the texture music or i'm just going to contact uh, mick gordon because he's absolutely uh, incredible uh i even tried to contact kavinsky uh, because i you know like his style and uh and i feel like on the artist side it's difficult now like i'm wondering what is the approach from so of course if you're an established me gordon or whatever yeah pe people people come to you and then you start contracting other people for who goes for you and you know it's like okay it becomes a thing but right right then you have too much work and but the beginning though is so hard because really there's really mostly two situations there's the and then there's a third one which is mine which is like well i happen to be a musician i'm just gonna sneak in my own music in there but uh <laughs> that's yeah, why i started you know, the studio <laughs> i pat myself in the back that's great yeah, yeah and, and and also i work with with my good friend matt who's also producing my music and i love his style so that's okay it works right but most of the time like there's really two situations there's the one where like, well we have a tiny budget we're trying to make this game and yeah we're looking for someone who's not famous but who could do the music like Trent Reznor uh and, and you know and then on the other side of that you have well I can't afford Trent Reznor I'm just going to contact him so where does it where does it how does it work for not like established musicians like you but like like maybe you 10 years ago let's say like you know 20 or whatever like when you were trying to get in and you had like either to, to do the Trent Reznor for, for no budget or you were not Trent Reznor. So you're just like, okay, how do I fit in? You know, who wants me? It's such a, I, you know, I feel so like silly answering this question because I, I get asked a lot, like, what do you do as a person who is not established to become established, to break in, you know, and, and my, one of my best friends co-founded Supergiant Games and said, hey, would you be interested in doing the audio? <laughs> um, and that was my, that's how I get in. I mean, before that, I was, you know, interning in a recording studio. I was like playing in Craigslist bands. I was like doing whatever. I was like producing for local people, just trying to do anything anybody would pay me to do or not pay me to do because I was just trying to get all the experience I possibly could. Um, and I was, you know, just when I would come home from that stuff, I'd just be like tinkering with production stuff and, you know, messing around in logic. And, and so I didn't, I didn't even know, like I was interested in music for games, but I never thought that it was a career path. That was something that I could do. Um, Cause I just didn't understand that that was a, like an actual job you could have at that at that time you know <laughs> yeah um and but then my friend you know he was getting into game design and he was working at ea for a few years and he was doing you know and um and so i got to kind of have his like vicariously be excited about his perspective on games and stuff and and we grew up together playing video games and D D and all that stuff for years and and uh 
CCGs and everything, you know, the whole thing. And, and so, um, I was stoked from an outsider's perspective, like, man, that's so cool. You get to work on video games, you know? And then when he reached out to me, uh, and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm you know, we're going to strike out and on our own and try, try to make our own thing. Would you be interested in doing the, the audio? Of course I, I said, yes. Now, on the other hand, I mean, my perspective on this stuff is so skewed just because of the experience that I've had that's pretty specific, I think. So it's like, I would say my instinct would be if I were in the position of trying to find somebody to do this, would be to, you know, tap your, see about your close network of people that you already know first is sort of my, my instinct. It's like, if you have a friend who you're confident in their creative abilities and you've heard their stuff and you think it's good. That's like, that goes a long way, <laughs> you know, being, being sort of intimately familiar with a person's creative output and their ability uh, is it just, it just says a lot more than a demo reel or something or like, you know, if you, if you've worked with a person creatively and have a, have a sense of what they're capable of, uh, you know, or, or understand what it's like to work with them in a creative capacity. I think that's a big, um, that's a big thing. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's an important aspect of it. Being able to communicate with somebody creatively and yeah. have a functioning creative relationship with that person is a big part of it, you know? Um, and we played in bands together and stuff like my friend and I, and so we, we'd made video projects and done things over the, you know, so we, we, we'd were, you know, we had a long, a long history of, of working together and playing together, you know? So, yeah, I mean, in terms of advice for, you know, for someone starting out or trying to being in the position of, of trying to look for somebody. Yeah. I mean, I'd probably start there and then I would, you know, I'm always interested in someone with a unique perspective. Like I'm always interested in, in not, not the, not the, um, on the nose thing. You know, I'm, I'm interested in like a roundabout way to achieve stuff. So if I were in a position where I was just looking for someone to compose, I'd probably, I probably wouldn't give a, a directive like, Oh, I want this, like a Trent Reznor. You know what I mean? Like I, like maybe I'd mention something that we thought about is that, but maybe I would do the thing where like, it could be this, but do your, but go nuts, you know? <laughs> um, Maybe I'd give a few different types of things as examples. Like it could be this, or it could be this, or it could be this or something in between, you know, just like things that all have, like, it could be Trent Reznor, or it could be, you know, it could be like Brian Eno, or it could be, you know, some other thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reference is really a, a way to communicate more than, you know, if people, if people think that it's an order like you have to sound like Trent Reznor it's probably a mistake but when you say like something in the vein of Trent Reznor I think what people mean is like this industrial very distorted sound like with with some cool cool beats and yeah but um but to, so to your point I feel like the the summary for like how to get inside this industry is a mix of uh networking opportunities and being talent talented so it's like kind of a lot of a lot of other things right like I, that's probably what i would say to my to my to people when they ask me like how do you become a, a game designer you know like i guess well uh, first of all you got to be good because otherwise that's not going to work and two uh you're gonna you're gonna network like make yourself there like and, and the day there's an opportunity if people know what you can do or they 
they they like you as uh, as because they've they've communicated with you before and they think that you know your thing and it might that's my it might what what happens yeah i mean i think yeah i think that's a good point and i and i think for me the main piece of advice that i give that i feel confident in giving is just to work on the craft you know really like really do the craft, really understand your DAW or your software that you use, like really get close to that and feel like you can just or be fluent in that and be fluent in the pipeline from your idea to your finished thing and just making it sound just how you want it. And if you're able to do that, the rest of that stuff, you know, some of that is luck. Some of that is right place, right time. Some of that is being friends with particular people or, you know, and happening to, to have the opportunity. But if you focus on the craft stuff, if when the opportunity comes up, you want to be able to say yes and you want to be able to, to, to do your best, you know, you want to be able to confidently do it. And, and if you, if you have that skill, you have that comfort with a piece of software or whatever your pipeline is, your creative process, even if you say yes to a thing that you're not confident you can accomplish, you're confident you can learn how to accomplish it and then go accomplish it, you know? Right. Yeah, it's at least to know that you can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do uh, layers and is your is your music interactive in a way where it's it's uh, there are different loops that are real time and then based on the mood, they one of the loop will change, all of them will change, kind of like with the transition, that, that right time etc or is it like more like a uh, uh, film scoring where you, you have this big one one song that is planned for a moment yeah i mean I, it's uh it's changed a little bit with each project you know on bastion it was not particularly interactive uh just because of the technology that we had available to us it was it was like a stereo track it would loop until we told it to fade out basically you know we'd tell it when to play and when to fade out and that was it it was 2010 or something yeah bastion came out in 2011 yeah, 11, we, were using, yeah. we were using this free uh software called exact which was a microsoft tool that was like a free middleware that was not very um feature rich let's say uh and so then we moved to fmod for transistor forward you know uh, from then on and started incorporating some interactivity into the music so you know, on Transistor, we started experimenting with like stems, basically, where we had a, multiple stems that we could turn off and on just with the volume knob. And then we had some different processing that we could apply to the stems separately. So we could have different states where the audio, you know, you know, when you go into turn mode in Transistor, for example, we have like a vocal track that's sort of humming silently playing along to the piece that flips on. And then there's a low pass filter applied to all the rest of the music. So this, you know, when, when you enter a certain game state, for example, right? So, mm. and then for Pyre and, and Hades, we got more adventurous with, you know, adding more stems, doing more interactivity, you know, moving, having sections that a piece advances through like looping sections. And so for Hades, um, I leaned into that more where we have like for all of the music Um, most of the biome pieces is what we call them, the pieces that play while you're just sort of fighting through the various biomes. They have three main sections where they've got like a uh, really like a fairly chill intro section that's pretty sparse, maybe has some like pulsing synth pads and bass stuff and then just like light percussion. And there's three stems there. There's like a guitar stem, a bass stem and a drum stem. And when you enter a chamber, those can play in basically any combination 
uh, with the drums kicked on. And then when you defeat the last enemy, the drums turn off. And then it sort of re-rolls a new random combination of those stems when you enter the next chamber. After a certain amount of advancement, it will move to the next section, which is the actual piece itself, like the sort of Mediterranean folk version of the piece. And and that state that same stem arrangement thing can happen in each chamber. So it can be all three stems, or it can be just two of them, or just the drums. Um, and then you know the drums turn off when when you defeat the last enemy. And then when you get to either a mini boss or a boss, it advances to yet another section, which is the hard rock arrangement of that same piece essentially mm -hmm. and then when you strike the final blow on the boss it advances to like an ending tag and and plays the end of the song got it uh well first of all Raphael, you should play transistor it's a very unique game where music is super integrated with the narrative uh and uh in terms of mechanics it's also you know it stands out and uh, back in uh, 2014, we actually had uh, an interview with you, Darren, uh, about the soundtrack for Transistor. Um, and uh, back then, you had a pretty humble home studio setup, mm -hmm. uh, guitars, ukulele, a microphone, and mm -hmm. uh, iMac with Logic 9. Uh, I presume that your current gear is uh, much more advanced. Can you tell us about that? little bit i mean not that much i got you know i got like another little piece of outboard gear that i use i had for transistor i got i had a the i got a neve portico 517 which i got for transistor and then since then i i have a dbx 560a compressor that i send that into afterwards and that's my main like signal path that i use for almost everything um i have a vocal booth now instead of a closet which is nice mm -hmm. um uh but i got some more instruments and stuff but but pretty much it's it's still a home studio. I'm still just using, you know, I'm using a, a newer computer than I was then. I'm on the newest current version of Logic or whatever, but yeah. Um, but it's all, you know, none of it's too crazy. I mean, I've I've been dabbling with analog synths and stuff, which has been a lot of fun. Um and uh and you know, recently started acquiring some more guitar gear and pedals and guitars and things like that. And it's trying, trying to expand the palette um, that I have available to me um, really is what it's about. Just trying to have a lot of tools. Um, the more tools, you know, I have the, the more diverse sounding the stuff can be, or, or if there's something really specific I'm looking for, I'll be able to achieve it more quickly, mm -hmm. you know, because you can kind of get there if you don't have all the right equipment, but it just takes noodling and and processing and stuff. So, so if you have if you have the thing that sounds like you want the P90 pickup guitar sound, if you just have that, it's easier to to create that sound than to like fake <laughs> it with other gear. A uh, so, stopping factor. Uh, sorry, Raf. Uh, yeah, just just you know the the second part of my question. Uh, the VSTs cost a fortune. Like you can spend thousands and thousands of dollars on uh, orchestral bands, presets, choirs, drums, and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And uh, I mean, in Bastion back in 2011, I could hear uh, default logic drums, uh, yeah. orchestral drums, and it didn't stop you from being acknowledged for your music. So yeah. in your opinion, is that the, the 
actually important to have uh you know um super expensive uh wow blasting uh, you know vsts or you if you're if you're creative enough and if you're maybe you know agile in your process enough you can get to the point where your music sounds decent without all these you know budget spending yeah i mean i I, for me, you know, a lot of how I like to approach stuff is trying to use the tools that I have available to me to the sort of squeeze all the juice out of those and, and use them in a way that that is going to be interesting or it's going to help those tools to shine. Like I wouldn't I, I, I knew going into Bastion that I didn't have the tools to do something properly orchestral that sounded like a real orchestra. Like I didn't want to try that because I knew that the tools I had weren't going to do that. Um, and also that's not where my expertise was as a musician and a composer, you know, a writer. It's not really what I felt comfortable with. So, you know, I, I think if your thing is I make really realistic sounding orchestras with MIDI, you know, then maybe you do need the fancy VSTs and all the crazy, you know, altiverbs and whatever, you know, fancy reverbs and stuff. But, uh, I made Bastion with only default Logic plugins. I didn't have, I, I had zero additional plugins um, uh, on Bastion. Um, so what about your VST library now? It's not that crazy. I'm not a big like VST explorer. Like I have some other stuff. I've got a couple of guitar amp things, but, but half the time I still end up using the Logic stuff because I I'm comfortable with it and I like some of the results better. Um, and, you know, it's just, for me, it's about like, if you're, whatever you're comfortable with and familiar with is often the best choice, you know, because if, if you're acquiring all these expensive VSTs, but you don't, you're not like, you don't know them inside and out, it's not necessarily helpful for your mm -hmm. flow because even with expensive orchestra software, you still got to really be like a wizard with all the MIDI, you know, automation and stuff. You have to like really get good at that in order to make that stuff sound realistic, no matter how good the samples are. Um, so it's like part of it is just mastery of the, the gear that you have versus like trying to go out and acquire everything. I mean, if you're looking for like a very specific thing that you don't have, maybe you got to go get it. But um, other than that, it's like, you know, getting really comfortable with with the equipment you have and understanding its capabilities and how you might be able to use that to achieve what you want, I think is, is an important part. At least that's that's sort of how my brain works. It's like, well, what do I have? You know, how can I use it in an interesting way? I still use default logic instruments, actually. Like uh, it, it was you who who taught me that. <laughs> yeah, some of them are awesome. Yeah, why not? And I, I, uh, I, we try to like when we're doing the soundtrack, we try to get the as many live instruments as possible because nothing compares to a live uh, violin or yeah. live electric guitar. But all the same, uh, all all the rest uh, can go, you know, through the yeah, exactly through default instruments. Why not? I mean, I am I'm talking about this because many people are kind of scared to start 
doing this without being able to buy lots of stuff uh, to, you know, decorate your music. But if it's shit, it's shit. And if it's if if it doesn't fit the the game, then nothing will help it. Not even the you know, two thousand bucks bass guitar from for your contact ten player. Raf, what's your take on that? Can you relate? Because you are using a lot of uh, you know your uh, music in in your games. Uh, same applies. It applies to Prey as well as Weird West. Yeah, so in my case, it's a little different because I uh, I put some of my music in there. Usually, it's more like a cameo. Like, I'm going to take, like let's say, three of my music from the band. Either I write them. Like, in the case of Weird West, there was one that was specifically written for the game. And then two others, it would just, like, fit the mood really well. And, uh, and then I work with Matt Pearsall, who, you know, I send him all my stems. And even though there are synths and there's a beat and, you know, there's the bass and the guitars and vocals. Uh, and he takes, you know, he might just say like, you know what, I don't like your synths. I'm just going to replace them entirely or same with the beat. And then he will keep the vocals, guitars. Maybe we keep one of the synths, but not all of them. And he will heavily modify it anyway and loop it in weird ways, etc. So he's the, you know, uh, and then he, and then the rest of the songs in the, in the, in the game, they usually like are his. So, like, you know, I, I, if you think about the OST, for example, we had, I think Weird, Weird Wolves had five songs in there and 13 were mats, you know, so that give you kind of an idea of, of the, uh, the proportion. And even though our songs, he, he produces them. So I don't really worry so much about the VST and the, and the you know, do I have the right parameters for my, my, my sidechain compression? Uh, I, I do a mix which I know eventually is going to go into the hands of uh, someone that is much, much more competent than I am at this thing. And it's got the good ears, etc. You know. Cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, you guys are talking about the stems. So can I... I promise, Raph, I will let you ask your questions. Sorry, guys. But um, before we finish this topic, yeah, you were talking about the stems. So um, I wanted to ask you, actually both of you, uh, how do you compose something that can uh, can contain interchangeable parts without thinking that it will all get nuts in the game uh like in sometimes unpredictable ways but as a composer you gotta see when you start a theme you, you uh well in most cases you you see how it will end and what will happen um on the road there uh but when uh, when this this track plays in the game and the stems they go on and off and the the parts are changing uh it, it might be you know it might be a bit chaotic so uh i presume that the video game composers Conscious is 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 a bit different than uh, traditional composer consciousness. I mean, in if you if you may say so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the the interactivity of games, as opposed to other mediums that you might make music for, is the thing that really separates composing yeah. for games from composing for film or just writing music for a record or whatever it is. Uh, be, the interactivity is the thing that really separates it because you don't know how long a player is going to be listening to the thing. You don't know. I mean, unless it's for a cutscene or something, 
you know, it's going to be it's going to be differently experienced every time a player hears it. And and especially when you add STEM interactivity based on what the player is doing and stuff, it it's going to really change that. And the goal for me is to increase the immersion by having the music respond in some way to what the player is doing and and to the different to the various game states, you know, and to help help it feel scored. I mean, a lot of the the automation we did in Hades, for example, is to help add longevity to these pieces that you're going to hear over and over again in a game that you could play for like hundreds of hours. There's only two and a half hours of music in the game, but because of the way it's implemented with the stems and it always changing by the time you hear, you know, when you hear a particular piece, it's going to be different every time you hear it. And it'll be, you know, if, if you're doing long, you know, fifth, let's say you you die halfway through and you do a 15 minute run and you get whatever you start, start again, we've got like four pieces for that first biome that can play kind of in a playlist. So it'll be at least like 45 minutes till you hear a particular piece again, you know? Uh, so so the hope is that because of the structure of the game, the way we've implemented it with with dynamic stem uh, turning on and off, you know, stems being added and removed, hopefully that, that that will add longevity. And and in terms of thinking about it differently, uh, uh, composing for four multiple stems, it's like I don't I don't usually I've done it in the past where I've tried to think about that while composing, like on Pyre in particular, I had to because those that we did we were so granular with the stems on that game we'd had like eight stems sometimes that we could be playing in any combination more or less so something had to be happening all the time on every stem um well for hades i really tried to focus on having the piece have its own arc and i can have you know a few bars where the bass doesn't play anything and it's fine like mm -hmm. if the bass stem turns on and there's nothing on the bass stem for like five more seconds it's no big deal you know uh, but on, on Pyre, I, I, my approach really was like constantly have something on every track. So you feel the changes. Um, and on Hades, you know, it, what, that wasn't as big of a concern. It was more like trying to get the, the arc of the piece to really feel, uh, like it reflected playing the game. Uh, I was wondering if you, if you fear AI, like what, we've seen what happens with, uh, things like disco diffusion in imagery where, uh, and there's some other stuff now as well. It is so impressive. So, uh, like a concept artist can use it as a reference even like they, they can start something with it and it goes mind blowing. And, uh, I think there are some stuff in music that has been already existing. It's not quite convincing yet, but it's, it seems inevitable that at some point, uh, do you think it's, it's, uh, do you fear that? Do you think we can, we, we, it's going to be helpful or do you think it's going to be more like of a, you know, meaning like less, less work for people? I mean, I'm not sure. It really depends. I think, you know, in general, even if AI for music stuff comes a long way, I feel like you're going to have to feed it good things to <laughs> to have it produce something that you well want. you'll feed it with prompts hand zimmer uh orchestral fun, 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 and then it does it <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's interesting it's like if you want to create something that is maybe it'll get to the point where you can where where you can hear something new from that but i feel like it's going to be good at like you know 
mushing things together and kind of regurgitating the things you feed it. But it's like, if you are trying to create something new and have something that really feels specific to what you're doing, that's going to be hard to achieve with AI probably because unless unless you unless the thing that you're asking it to do is combine three crazy things that produce something right. new or whatever uh which is often the case yeah yeah and then how then yeah i mean if 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 it gets to the point where that yields interesting or cool results that's cool and 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 exciting and it for me it's like you know i just feel like i haven't heard any ai music stuff that's really like impressive I found, yeah i i found real impressive yeah. yet so maybe maybe it'll get there I, for at the moment i'm not you know i'm not worried about like being replaced or whatever by by ai <laughs> um music but uh i think certainly people who are looking for something that is um very specific or particularly derivative or or that thing where they're like can you just do this song but legally different like i think ai could work for that yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know i mean maybe it can help us doing things we don't like to i assume you're not just doing music you might be doing footsteps and stuff like that in 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 audio direction uh do you think there are AI, there are ways where ai can help even in music i mean like sometimes just mixing is not the most fun part uh do you see areas where that you personally don't like uh in audio in general where ai could actually be a thing You know, it's interesting. I I kind of like all of it. Um, the stuff I don't, I I like less. I would say is like the more um, file organization naming, all that stuff, and that can be automated effectively. I just don't have a good system for it. But um, but I think you know, I think there are ways where like you can have helpful AI. I, I you know, I'd imagine just if you incorporate it into your process in a way that helps you with you know, kind of relieve some of the pressure points. Like if you've got a, you know, name, you know, 40,000 voice lines or whatever, and you got to name all the files or whatever it is, having, having, having some sort of AI assistant for that, it could help. I just don't, you know, I don't know how to incorporate it <laughs> at the moment into, yeah. into the pipeline. I don't know if you've heard this tool, by the way, uh, it's a bit of a tangent, but this, this thing called Altered Studio, they, uh, you've heard, yeah, you, you've seen what they do with the, with the, revoicing re people it's absolutely amazing um yeah i i, I play with it a little bit i it's interesting it's like it's one of those things where i feel like for from my perspective i i could see it being really good for like scratch like if you mm -hmm. want to record scratch vo for for your project like the developers you know mm -hmm. and then you could get something that's more similar to the thing you're imagining but like i i you know i experimented i had trouble getting it to like give me like a proper performance back you know oh yeah no you got to be an actor already somehow yeah well well it's well what i mean to say is like it didn't translate the performance as much as i wanted it to like a, it was mm -hmm. it would be awesome for narration was my thought like if if you if you can't for whatever reason hire someone that sounds a particular way and you have someone who can do this you know and they can you know but but the more expressive the performance i feel like the less it worked oh interesting okay that was my feeling when I messed got around it, with it, it. Okay. but it's a really cool, I mean, it's, it's a really cool piece of tech. And I feel like there are ways that you can incorporate that into a pipeline, uh, helpfully for sure. Yeah. Plus it's the beginning. You could imagine that future iterations are going to address some of the problems. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, there's a question that I still hear among my video game music friends who work for uh, or used to work for uh, huge studios. Uh, it's uh, it goes like how many minutes of music do you compose per day? <laughs> and obviously in AAA segment, things are not quite as liberal as yeah. in indie studios or is in your case. Yeah. Uh, is it even possible to think about things like inspiration or creativity under conditions like that? And I think that the this AI thing, which just mixes ex existing thing together uh, and uh, you know gives you the result of uh, like hundreds of minutes of just some sort of background music for loading screens yeah. or maybe you know saving menus or titles, yeah. uh, it it can be applicable mm, because. You know, it's hard. I'm not a machine. <laughs> I cannot yeah, just yeah. go like, how yeah, many yeah, yeah. minutes do you read? Hey, no way. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, in AAA, and I think it's pliable, especially in AAA, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I think it's pliable in AAA segment since not many people who enjoy, uh, you know, AAA games that get to release annually, I don't think that many gamers will uh, spot any difference between what Hans Zimmer did or Inanzor or whoever else yeah. uh, and what the AI did. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think that's that's totally possible. It's like if if the game, if the role of the music is to be wallpaper or if it is to just be something, then then maybe <laughs> maybe there that that is. Uh, that's a possibility like like you're saying where it's just you need you need something there yeah uh and and two hours of music are not enough it's not good enough man yeah. we are doing witcher 4 get the hell out of here <laughs> this is serious yeah we're gonna need we're gonna need 150 hours of music go yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's yeah it's you know my i tend to try to look at other ways to get longevity out of the music other than actually just composing more mixed finished music it's like like the thing i was talking about with stems it's like there's mm -hmm. there's there are ways to kind of wring all the juice out of the stuff you you do and and there are a lot of ways to repurpose tracks and repurpose things and and keep kind of expanding on the way they're implemented and stuff and and get a lot more mileage out of out of everything you do because if you're trying to to if you're trying to sort of manually compose, you know, X amount of music uh, and have it appear as a stereo mix that way in the game, you know, that's going to be a lot trickier than implementing it in a creative way that allows you to, to you know, interchange things and, and move to different sections and, you know, the things that are, are going to help you, you know, increase the mileage of a particular piece of music. Speaking about that, uh, I've read that you have uh, an engineering background, mm -hmm. except for, uh, I mean, aside from the, the band background. Mm -hmm. So for you, uh, I suppose that for you, the learning curve of these, you know, F mods, WWYs and uh, uh, audio engines and tech part was probably easier or not. 
Well, to be clear, it's audio engineering. So it's like recording engineer, not like programmer engineer. Okay. <laughs> so, so I understand DAWs and uh -huh. I understand mixing consoles and I understand all that stuff, but the, the actual middleware stuff was not particularly like, I didn't really start to understand how it worked until I got into FMOD studio, which where it has a timeline mm -hmm. and you can kind of see, oh, okay, I get it. And, and, oh, there's like a, there's a mixer and I can route bus all these things different ways. And I can like visualize it with a mixer with faders and, <laughs> you know, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, once, once that was a possibility in order to work, like I could work with the music in a way or, and the audio in a way where it made sense to me come with my audio background and my audio engineering background, uh, then that, that the possibilities really opened up for me of how we could do interesting stuff with this, you know, and I, and I see automating stuff in the game, like you can automate stuff in a mix, you know, you can automate, it's like the same, it's very, it's very applicable. So the, the main point here is probably that it's not good enough to be just a cool musician, uh, to, you know, to reach some heights in video game music or to, uh, not not to reach some heights in video game music. I mean to to enrich to enrich the games that you love, the projects that you enjoy working on, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, with something fresh with your vision. And it's always important to to know uh, that there's a lot of tech side to all the creative process. Like m many people know you from uh, you know uh, from cool songs. Uh, and there, it's you know, it's another uh, thing that I wanted to talk about because songs and video games were uh, were rare before you came. Uh, I think before you, it was uh, the Alan Wake. In Alan Wake, they mm -hmm. used uh, a lot of songs, uh, but again, uh, the band uh, Poets of the Fall uh, mm -hmm. wrote the songs under a different name for the game, and. Yeah. Uh, then came Mr. Darren Korb, who brought us uh, the wonderful culture of uh, songwriting into video games. But aside from that, you got to be strong in the, you know, in the tech part. Is I mean, there a way to learn fast enough to do this? Because like, I'm ready to go, but yeah. uh, you've got FMOD, you got what else? I just, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm good. I can be great at DOW. I can yeah, be yeah. great at playing guitar. I can sing. I can mix. I can be an audio engineer. But yeah. when you face that, when you open up Unreal Engine or Unity yeah. or anything else, you go like, what the hell? You do not require a musician, guys. You require someone else, a programmer who can play a guitar, maybe. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where uh, you don't necessarily need that stuff. You know, I think that the musicianship and having making cool music and doing something that's expressive and evocative of the tone of the thing, that's all the top priority and the interactive stuff. And like that stuff you can develop that by working on it. You know, I, I feel like the, the best way or the, the fastest way to learn that stuff is by working on a game. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, you work in a game, you're going to start learning that stuff real quick because anything you want to do has to go interface with middleware and do that stuff and you, in order to get the audio into the game and figure out how it's going to be implemented. I think that's something to think about. But 
more importantly than understanding middleware and ha being a programmer and all that stuff, I think it's really just having a concept of how the stuff will be implemented and not necessarily the specifics of how to get there, mm -hmm. but just having the idea of how you want the music to play back in the game, H having that, having those ideas. And there are, you know, a programmer or can help you with this maybe, <laughs> or you can look on, uh, you know, there's, there's starting to be more resources for stuff like this on, on the internet now. And, and you can just kind of look at, okay, how do I, how do I get something to play back with like three stems and I can like pick the stem? Like, what do I do? How do I set up, set that stuff up in middleware and, and, and being able to, you can dig into that stuff and learn it as you need to. I feel like it's, you know, you, you don't have to be an expert at wise or FMOD before beginning your first <laughs> game project, my opinion, but because I, you know, I, I, I enjoy the trial by fire uh, scenario. <laughs> <laughs> You're that kind of guy. <laughs> I, I find that to be the sink or swim scenario is a very good one for making sure you learn something real quick. Can we talk a bit about authenticity in soundtracks? Uh, Hades is probably one of the best examples we've got uh, because you've got that Mediterranean vibes and harmonies but at the same time you've got the drum gro drums grooving in the, the you know electric guitars and bass mm -hmm. you got you also got games like Desperados 3 when it's actually you know it's obviously uh, another uh, another age but you can still uh, hear electronic bass a lot of synths yeah. uh, the instruments that obviously weren't available back in the time uh, mm -hmm. and the place um and you also have games like weird west uh in which you know it, it's probably you, you can probably say the same but uh aside from that everything went crazy in this world and the music yeah. is also very you know very uh underli underlining about this so where's that line where the devs come to you and go like We've got a pixel art, fantasy, roguelite, action strategy game. Um, it takes place in a, in a, you know, in a high fantasy world, mm -hmm. and it's a turn-based tactical game. It's an indie game for like three ninety nine uh, in Steam, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, we want to we want this to be you know as as more uh, authentic as as much authentic as possible. Yeah. Uh, so you got to protect your ideas here uh, to, you know, to explain that maybe the super authentic sound is not a good idea since it's not civilization game or, you know. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, I think the idea of an authentic sound, it's like it's authentic to what, you know, it's like, what, what does that mean? Because there's so many influences in the thing that you described, right? There's so many different ways you could go. It's like authentically 8-bit, authentically, mm -hmm. like authentic what? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, that's cool. I mean, there, there, are, there are a lot of ways you can go, but it's like, I find that if you're doing a thing that's already been done, if you're not going to put a twist on it, uh, it's not going to be that interesting. Or at least for me, that's my approach to stuff. It's like, I want a twist on something. Like, I don't want to just hear it a nut like like just an, a new addition to a to a thing that exists i would like to hear you know a, as a listener and as someone who who's just interested in like being surprised by music um i want to hear 
an iteration or an addition or a synthesis of something new. Mm -hmm. So, so I think when you're talking about authenticity, it's like suggesting those things as ingredients to inform what it may turn out to be, I think is totally cool and, and a good place to start from because just in the, you know, action, pixel art, roguelike, turbo, whatever the, you know, a million things you rattled off. It's like, there's a lot of stuff implied by each of those things. There's like, each of those things has its own musical implication, I think. And for me, I really like to, to focus in on what is the setting mm -hmm. of the game and really get as much information as I can about where the game takes place and what this place is like and what kind of music makes sense for this place and what kind of music the characters here might listen to or play if they wrote music or whatever it is. So, and then using that information or the answers to those questions to determine what the palette's going to be and, and to help to at least help me figure out some component of what the music should sound like just based on the setting, you know? And then it's like, well, what's the tone of the thing? What do we want to express tonally? What, where do we want to go? And that, that helps inform, you know, the style of music. And then of course, you know, is there something else then that I can inject to marry those two things? You know, some, some weird third thing that can form the, like, you know, the, the third leg of the stool to stand yeah. up the music, you know? <laughs> so, um, a thing that, I've been thinking about lately is uh, what I would probably call conceptualizing with music instead of instead of graphical art. And I'm not talking about canceling the traditional concept uh, art, uh, but if you don't have an artist yet, or your artists are too busy with something, with some task they're working on, or they have a uh, you know, a sweaty sprint or something. Uh, why don't you start uh, conceptualizing a, a location, a character, research the level of darkness, uh, the time and place, determine many things which music allows you to do with, uh, with a music team. Uh, I don't think it's, uh, it's a common approach. Uh, at least I'm not saying that I, I've figured out something unique here, uh, but I've never heard about people doing this too often. Like we don't have an artist yet. Yeah, but you can play your freaking guitar, like t hit the strings and see what happens. Are you making a Western game? Are you making more of a J JRPG game? Or maybe you're making a, you know, something similar to Skyrim. Of course you will not get to get the 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 final look and feel of your game the the complete image but you will not have this look and feel and this complete image via the drone art the traditional gra graphical concept art so uh can you guys relate to this or am i talking crap yeah i mean i i think anything you can do to express the tone of what you want is valuable. I mean, anything that you can produce that is going to meaningfully express that outside of words is useful, you know, and we, we certainly do this. I mean, there are times when the art team is busy on something and I'll go ahead and try to take the information that I have based on everything else we've got going on and try to express some ideas or the tone of a particular place or whatever, just, you know, that's something that 
that I'll definitely do. Um, and I think it's really valuable. I mean, any, any, anything that you have that you can use to help express that stuff, it's, uh, you know, is valuable. Weirdly enough, we, uh, when we started Weird West, we did not have any art director back then. Uh, and so we're not sure exactly what the, where we're going with the, with the mood, etc. And uh, one of the first thing that came up, I mean, at the same time, we were having uh, some, some concept art, but, the, the, but before that, I had, a, I had the Ghost Voices, which actually is the music in the, of the intro right now of the game. That was already there in its uh, in its stems form, uh, and it def definitely conveyed that uh, weird West mood, that kind of like um, vaguely bizarre and sad and ghostly kind of voices, you know, which definitely moved away from the standard Sergio Leone that you would expect from westerns. So it was a good way to communicate, you know. Here is. Kind of vibe we're going for and i don't know if it influenced the art at all but uh it did it did influence the beginning of the of the thinking of the game yeah and and, and i and i feel like something like that if it if it's clearly expressing the tone it can't help but resonate with the other you know other departments it's like it's one of those things where it just all sort of seeps into everything else when you when you have you know early concept art it's going to influence everybody else's work and and yeah. everybody as everybody's able to get a better picture in their mind of what you're making and the tone of it i think it's going to help focus everybody you know yeah. so uh rafael can we say that weird west basically is the game that came out of the song well <laughs> in a way <laughs> uh i mean it was it's funny this song is one of the first things that came out about this game for sure um you know, as we were assembling the team and everything, you know, when you, when you don't, yeah, when you have time and you're going somewhere, you know, you just, uh, how you do with what you have, you know? Yeah. Thank you guys. Uh, it was a blast. It was nice seeing you, Darren. Yeah. Been, <laughs> been a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys. Uh, see you on another episode. Uh, yep. bye Darren. Have a nice one. Bye. Rob. All right. Thank bye. you. Bye. Bye.